In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. You got it. No. Do not f*** with us. Say it. Because... Say it. Because we're the same person. That's right. We are the all-singing, all-dancing crowd. I don't understand. Looking for a way to change your life. You could not do this on your own. All the ways you wish you could be, that's me. I look like you want to look, I f like you want to f. I am smart, capable, and most importantly, I'm free in all the ways that you are not. Oh no. Tyler's not here. Tyler went away. Tyler's gone. What? This is impossible. No, this is crazy. People do it every day. They talk to themselves, they see themselves as they'd like to be. They don't have the courage you have to just run with it. Naturally, you're still wrestling with it, so sometimes you're still you. We should do this again sometime. Other times, you imagine yourself watching me. If this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Little by little, you're just letting yourself become Tyler Durden. All right, we are starting this brand new podcast idea to explore a whole bunch of mental health issues as they present themselves in popular media, whether that be movies, television shows, music, books. It's it's covered everywhere and sometimes accurately, sometimes inaccurately, but I'm really excited to be talking to Mike Graham um, on an ongoing basis about these issues. Thanks for joining me, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited about going over these topics. I've actually thought about this kind of thing for a long time as far as portrayal of you know, mental health in the media. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to go over in detail, you know, what's right, what's wrong and all that kind of stuff. So it just seems like a lot of fun. Yeah. So and on that note, we we decided to pick it's not necessarily a recent example, but uh, somewhat recent and in incredibly popular. So yeah, I think it's just like almost one of the first ones that comes to mind. Yeah. When you think of uh, what's a really crazy movie that has some mental health issues going on in it? Maybe it's kind of the center focus. And, and this one was just like the first thing that a lot of people think about. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny because, you know, while that definitely does have mental health issues presented, it's presented in a, a, a very dramatic, dramatized, not necessarily accurate in terms of how people actually experience it, but still really interesting and entertaining for people. So that gives us a good entry point to say, okay, here's what's going on. Let's kind of break it down. Yeah, absolutely. And this one's just a really good one to do that with. I think the entire movie starts in therapy and, and the whole thing's sort of about it. So on that note, so we decided to start with Fight Club and it does start with a lot of therapy. Although I guess it's really like group group therapy or group support. Yeah. And 
I, I I love that the movie opens that way because it really introduces the idea that this main character, who at the start is is unnamed, is struggling in a lot of different ways and is finding support in groups that he doesn't actually share the problems with, but is just getting the benefit of being around them and being around their emotional experiences. I just love that. Yeah, and that kind of, for me even, just immediately kicks it off with, in my mind, when I think about that kind of thing is, okay, so we have a guy who who obviously has issues. He's got insomnia, the narrator, and he's got insomnia and he seems to not get a kick, but get... Uh, some sort of peace out of going and finding a way to cry. And so crying turns that into him being able to sleep again. And that's his main concern, I think, at the beginning of the movie is is fixing his insomnia. Yep. So uh, my question when I'm thinking that is, what's going on with a, with a type of person that, that would kind of travel around in group therapies? I, I think he calls uh, Marla... Oh, gosh, what's the uh, term? A tourist, he, yeah. Yes, a tourist, but he's also a tourist in these right. group therapies. Uh, so it just makes me wonder right off the bat, what's going on with him, you know? Well, right, he's mad at her for doing what he's doing. Right, yeah. He's, which means, in my mind, I think it, it kind of looks like he feels a little guilty about what he's doing himself. Yeah, no question, because he's he's getting the benefit of these group experiences without sharing any of the experiences that the other group members have. So, right. On some level, there's there's some um, probably projection of anger that he would presume other people would feel if they knew what he was doing. Okay, so a little bit of projecting going on there. Oh, yeah. Okay. And this, I'm just so interested in this movie going forward. I think early in the movie, he meets uh, Robert Paulson. Yes, played by Meatloaf, yeah. <laughs> and this is how I met the big Moosey. His eyes already shrink-wrapped in tears. Knees together, those awkward little steps. My name is Bob. Bob. Yep, yep. And that is when, when Ryan, when you and I talked about this before we started recording last week, like that was actually even for me more so than the narrator or Tyler Durden, like really popped up as someone that I, th- I thought would be fun to talk about for a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. A really interesting character. From what we know about his background, he was a, a weightlifter, a bodybuilder. And I'm not just recalling the exact chronology of the events, but I think he got testicular cancer, had had to go on some medication that Yep. You know, led to him estrogen. having some, some... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he had some estrogen for, for whatever reason. And these are kind of the questions, you know, is this medically accurate? But yeah, so apparently he grew breasts. Yeah. And uh, he's in group therapy, but you also find out, just to add on to everything, that his wife left him Right. sort of after that because he says at one point that he's not a man anymore. Yeah, and in working with people who, you know, have had you know, various issues, not necessarily testicular cancer, but just sort of issues like this in marriages, that this is a very common experience of just sort of questioning their own manhood, quote unquote. So it was really interesting to see that portrayed in this, you know, slightly dramatized way. But he's clearly getting the benefit from the group therapy and and immediately latches on to the narrator. Exactly. And I guess my question that I had for you, you being the therapist here, (laughs) and me being the tourist, is... Okay, so there is a very particular scene with Robert Paulson, and he's talk, and he, and he 
meets the narrator on the street. Yep. And uh, just sort of a random run in. And this is after, for those of you that haven't seen Fight Club, Fight Club is a movie about uh, basically a club started by the main character whose name is Narrator, never given a name. And he basically, as a form of therapy, starts a, a literal fight club. They fight each other. After Fight Club has been started, the narrator's walking down the street and he bumps into Robert Paulson, played by Meatloaf, who was previously in the movie in the group therapies. You haven't seen him in a few scenes, but now he's popped back up. It's definitely been sort of like some time in between. And, and he says, oh, they're like, you know, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And, and Meatloaf's character says, Better than I've ever been in my whole life. Really? You still remaining men together? No, no, I got something so much better now. Really? What is it? Well, the first rule is I'm not supposed to talk about it. And the second rule is I'm not supposed to talk about it. And the third rule Bob, is Bob, I'm a member. What that gets me thinking, and it's a funny scene because then they, you know, they click again and, uh, you know, Meatloaf then sort of joins in on sort of the main things that are going on with the narrator at the house that he lives in. But my question is, as someone who's coping with it's there's clearly clearly some depression going on in those group therapies. Oh, yeah. You know, I can't speak from any sort of professional standpoint, but as an outsider, you think to yourself, you know, what is he dealing with here that he has to find something that's this really adrenaline driven masculine thing or, you know, quintessential masculine, masculine, I guess, if you want to right, call it right. that and, and just jump in head first. You know, he's he's gone from being whatever his life was before and he's just turned it upside down. And now he's, you know, in the alleys fighting guys at night. And it seems like I'm thinking what what's what do you think your motivation is? What's going on with this with this guy? Yeah, it's really interesting, and and it's obviously this is a experience that's eventually shared by multiple characters in in the movie who sort of come through the the Fight Club, right? Where because of whatever reason they find something positive in this outlet. So for Robert Paulson's character specifically, the fact that he identifies essentially not feeling like a man. And even in the the group therapy that they experience, there's this, this sort of like stereotypical female ways of coping. You know, they're hugging and and embracing and crying. And even though both characters identify that as beneficial, you can still tell that there's something that they maybe either feel like they wish that they had or that they wish that they were doing, getting that they're not. So once this once this outlet becomes available to them, it's like they they get to be what their ego is sort of driving them towards or or wants them to have whatever imaginary version of themselves. Yeah, which which really which is really smart as far as writing goes. They're all imagining a version of themselves. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And playing it out. And, you know, we'll be talking about that probably a little deeper in a second. Yeah, but so especially for Robert Paulson, I mean, he coming from the background of, you know, being a bodybuilder, muscle builder type, you know, that's probably who he saw himself as his best self. So to then become this person who has testicular cancer is sort of coping and bonding in ways that he's potentially uncomfortable or at least unfamiliar with, he ultimately wants to get back to that place and Fight Club offers him that outlet. 
for better or worse in the end. <laughs> and I guess I guess my biggest question there for you was, is there a, do you see a particular coping skill? Is there a name for what uh, some of these people or specifically Robert Paulson are doing? Is it something that you see people doing? Is it something, you know, you recommend? Or, In terms or, of the support it, groups or the fight club itself? The fight club itself. Yeah. Not, not, not the actual act. Right. But the fact that they're finding an outlet. Now, I don't think this is probably the proper outlet, but I mean that he's seeking some sort of, some sort of outlet and attaching himself completely to it. Yeah. Like his identity becomes wrapped into it. Oh yeah. I, I'm just wondering what's going, if, if this is a coping skill that's being used in a good way or a bad way, or is it being portrayed correctly or is it? Well, I'll say, yeah, it's being portrayed in an extreme way. I would say this is the sort of most extreme version. If there's a scale of what we would call like tension reduction or tension release, you know, on the sort of lower end scales are things like exercise. Progressive muscle relaxation is a great coping skill I suggest to people. That's the same idea of, especially for people who are anxious or who have trauma, they carry tension, literal tension in their body, in their muscles. You know, people talk about feeling back tension, feeling tightness in their chest. In the um, neck too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a very real thing. So Having an outlet, you know, physical or otherwise, that can help you feel like you have a little bit more control over that tension is is hugely beneficial. So for these guys going to Fight Club, it's the most extreme version of releasing this tension that's probably built up for them due to, you know, physical circumstances, emotional circumstances in the terms of the narrator who is just sort of disillusioned with life and his job that he wants, wants other experiences and he finds them in Fight Club as well. I just think that's, I just think it's neat because you, you, you sort of wonder about the writer and you think, did he do that on purpose? You know, I mean, there's some reality in there. It, it, obviously, for anyone listening, <laughs> joining a Fight Club probably isn't the, the way to solve your problems. But the things that Ryan just talked about are legitimate things that can help you with your anxiety and your stress even. And I just think it's neat that uh, even whether the writer was closely connected or not, like he found like a lane that sort of spoke to the truth. You know, I want to believe that, that it was intentional. Chuck Palahniuk, who wrote the, the book and writes a lot of these books in terms of that are very sort of dark and explore these extreme sides of personality and to a certain extent mental health as well. So I want to believe that this that this is sort of intentional and the sort of the things that are connected here. But, you know, whether they were or not, it's really interesting to see the sort of different responses to the quote unquote coping skill as well, because for some people just I think and you can watch it in some of the scenes, just being there with the other guys almost has its own benefit just sort of experiencing this thing that, that socializing and, yeah. and that the, the bond that they're getting is also seems uplifting for them. And, and it reflects what you imagine they perceive as sort of more in line with who they want to be or who they, you know, see themselves as. Now, I did have a question for you. So I this whole week, I've been thinking about this movie and talking to you about it. And I just thought, OK, so Robert Paulson was the thing that stuck out to me just kind of like straight out straight away like i've always been interested in that character i'm i'm wondering from your perspective when you're watching it like what's the what's the thing jumping out at you yeah i mean honestly it's it's a it's a sadness because 
I worked in addiction for a long time, and the sort of pattern that you see is it's in this sort of stereotypical thing of like falling in with the bad crowd. But the thing that's real about that is that quote unquote bad crowd does give you things that feel good and that you you benefit from. So you're taking the drugs and alcohol out of it. That crowd accepts you. That crowd validates you. That crowd makes you feel like you're you're worthy and worth a million bucks and and you can contribute and all those things. So I'm watching those things and I'm I'm thinking, man, I wish there was a healthy way for Robert Paulson to get the things that he's getting from Fight Club because it's not that far different. That he's not getting Right. Yeah. And he's not for whatever reason, he's not getting that same bonding from the group therapy, obviously. Well, right. At least at least not what he's looking for, because, you know, he's obviously getting some benefit from the group therapy. But, you know, to whatever extent he feels is missing. But it's funny because I have talked to guys who have gotten into boxing or MMA in a completely appropriate way. And there are a lot of similar benefits, but just not experiencing the same sort of extremes that, unfortunately, Robert Paulson ended up experiencing. Right. Which, yeah, we're, we're talking about a movie, but that that is actually a great, not even an analogy, but a real-life example that it, doing the MMA and the boxing and everything. I yeah. couldn't think of anything more physically intense. I actually went to, I did one class at like one of those boxing places. Sure. And it's about an hour long. And yeah, no, it tore me up. I couldn't go back. Yeah. <laughs> it was too much. <laughs> well, right. And and talk about tension reduction and sort of like an ego check. You you get wiped out physically and to a certain extent emotionally like, oh, I, I reached the limit of what my body is capable of. Is that something I want to experience over and over again? You know, maybe <laughs> Some not. Some people. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, exactly. Some people. So... I think the biggie here, seeing that we only have 10 minutes left here, I think we should probably jump into the the big one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One simple thing. Why do people think that I'm new? Answer me! Shit. Answer me. Why do people think that I'm you? I think you know. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Why would anyone possibly confuse you with me? I, I don't know. So basically, like I was saying, Fight Club's about a, a guy called the narrator who narrates the movie. He's uh, played by Edward Norton. Yep. He meets a character called Tyler Durden towards the beginning of the movie, who's played by, by Brad Pitt, and they be, start Fight Club together. And uh, we'll, we'll make a long story short, but basically the narrator's character starts saying things like he's sleeping longer and longer. Mm -hmm. And when he wakes up from his sleeps, things in his house and he lives with Brad Pitt's character, Tyler Durden, and the house has changed. Uh, Tyler Durden suddenly starts basically a small army yeah. of people. And all of a sudden there's people living in his house and he, the movie, it's kind of, it's really neat how they do it because you're sort of as confused as the narrator is of how this stuff is just sort of popping up in his house. Right. So people are just living there and all of a sudden now there's beds there and he keeps saying, and I'm sleeping longer and longer and he's finding airplane tickets. Yeah. And, and like I said, to make a, to make a long story short, you get towards the end of the movie and there's a big scene in a hotel room. The narrator has chased, he's woken up again from a long sleep 
and he's chased down the Brad Pitt character, Tyler Durden, uh, following an itinerary that he finds. So he literally is getting on planes and traveling from city to city, and he's remarking about how things seem eerily familiar wherever he goes. And yep. things, he, the, he'll go to a building and he can smell that there was a fight club there. And so he finally is in one of these cities chasing down Tyler Durden. And he calls up, it's Marla Singer. There's a character earlier in the movie because he has an epiphany. Uh, she's, been, she's been dating the Tyler Durden character. And suddenly he realizes, and he, he calls up and he says to the Marla Singer character, What's my name? And she says, well, you're ridiculous. Why would, what, what are you doing? Are you playing around with me? Yeah. And he's like, what's my name? What's my name? And she says, Tyler Durden, Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden. And boom. I think he, what is he, faint or something? Yeah, he sort of, he sort of like has a blackout kind of thing. Yeah. Right. He, so he has a blackout. And that's when you realize in the movie, and if, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but it's been years. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Sure. Yeah, this one is this one's uh, up for grabs. So anyway, it, he he realizes that there isn't a separate person. It's he is Tyler Durden. That's right. And Tyler Durden is him. And I think that's a big one here. I think that's the big one because I think there's a lot of issues with the way this was betrayed. Yes. <laughs> and, and I figured you could kind of like what. OK, so what are they betraying? Uh, what what is this? What is this mental illness that this man has? What are they betraying? What's it like in real life sure. versus the movie? Where do they? Because I'm just going to say it right now. I think that they the wild exaggeration is fun for a movie, but if someone were to have this particular disorder, this could really this could you might not they might not figure it out because they it wouldn't be like this. Absolutely. So so there are um, so just sort of off the top, this is sort of generally known as dissociative identity disorder or DID. People probably might misunderstand that as multiple personality disorder. You know, there are some similarities and then sometimes the sort of names get thrown around. But really, if we look at the character, it's he's, as far as he knows, most of the time he's himself. But then, and, and there's assumption that is sort of strongly tied into his insomnia. There are times when essentially he's not himself. He dissociates and he is this other person. And there are sort of clues to it over the course of the movie where I think the narrator, as we know him at that point, starts to allude to the fact that Tyler talks for him. Right. You know, he's in the hospital and he tells him he just fell down the stairs instead of saying he's in Fight Club. He's talking to Marla and Tyler just tells him this conversation, this conversation is over, is over. Did you catch this stuff the first time you watched it? You know, I don't know to what extent I caught it, but it's it's definitely you you notice that there are there's something off. And and as it gets deeper and deeper, it's it it starts to make less and less sense. So for me, you know, now with the sort of training and experience, it's okay, hold on. If you're trying to portray dissociative identity disorder, you know, I think the thing one of the things that I have the hardest time with is the possibility of the narrator forgetting his name. And and again, you know, obviously this is for dramatic effect, but the idea that no one has called him Tyler over the course of these weeks and months and that he would have missed or dissociated any time in which that would have happened is the sort of hardest thing for me to believe. <laughs> From what I know about it, and, and I do have some very minor just reading experience, you know, I, sure. I just get interested in, in these kind of things. 
uh, as an outsider for the, you know, one of us normies. Yep. <laughs> no, no, but uh, is when people have dissociative identity disorder, they, they do black out or disassociate, but they seem to be much shorter periods of times. And that's one of the things that really gets me as done wrong. Like you're just saying is the just extended huge gaps. Yeah. Like, I mean, they seem, I think the last one, it feels like he was gone for a month or something, you know? Right. And I just don't see that as being anywhere sort of realistic. And I think that if someone were to have any of these symptoms themselves, well, they might say, oh, you know, I don't forget things for a month. Right. <laughs> I don't lose, lose track of a month. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I think that basically it's someone, if they were to go to therapy, I would imagine they would probably much more easily connect to their dissociated identity mm -hmm. uh, when pointed out by the, a therapist. It, they would probably have memories and, and different things of things going on. I just, I just imagine it from, from things that I've read, and I'm trying to confirm with you, I guess, is more of a shift rather than a, com uh, like a transparent shift rather than this complete wall Black versus white, one guy, second guy. Yeah, and we do think of it as like ego protection that, you know, whether it's because of trauma or a heightened sense of anxiety, that the sort of conscious awareness of what you're coping with or dealing with, especially in the sense of trauma, you know, you sort of are able to quote unquote go somewhere else. So that's not necessarily that you're becoming another person, more mm -hmm. that you're, you're able to sort of quote unquote dissociate or depersonalize so that even if you're experiencing something, it's you're you're able to, in a sense, not experience it. Not that you're becoming a different person, but that you can sort of separate yourself from, let's say, the pain or um, right. the the trauma of a, a, a difficult relationship, or the sort of classical examples of you know, like watching your parents fight, you know, having domestic violence issues. So that's what we think of more classically when we think of dissociative identity. And and you're right in that. The sort of lower end of the spectrum is where people would be able to sort of relate to these symptoms. And, you know, when we're talking about something like dissociative identity disorder, that's where you want people to be able to see like, OK, if I'm experiencing these symptoms, this is a real thing. It doesn't have to be I'm a different person who wears crazy clothes and you know, goes out and, and starts cults and wants to bring down the whole system. Yeah, I'm not imagining my ideal version of myself and becoming that person. Right. And my my literal entire personality changes like I was born a different person. Right. I think it's it's the extreme there is just very, very extreme uh, portrayed in the movie. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, recognizing that even and I don't know if this is true in the book, but but rewatching the movie, you even get this almost like supernatural sense of how they're portraying. Yeah. Again, spoiler alert, you know, in the end, the narrator, who is actually Tyler Durden, shoots himself in the head. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's a oh, um, man. killing the quote unquote killing his alter ego, Tyler Durden character, but yeah. somehow not dying himself. Portraying stuff like that, I think, is is dangerous <laughs> to a certain extent because you don't want people thinking that there's this sort of extreme way that they can separate these yeah, parts if, of themselves. Okay, so all I have to do is shoot myself yeah, and my yeah, yeah. my my identity will go away. Yep, and I can just stand there watching the, the good stuff that I wanted to see happen, yeah. Right, so I can assure anyone that if you do shoot, well, 
Yeah, your identity will go away if you take extreme measures like that. Yeah, all identities uh, will go away. Yeah, all identities. So you're not going to be able to stand and watch the good stuff after. Right. That's right. Or or stand holding hands with the girl that you have a crush on. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, so that's that part's tough to watch for me because it's like, okay, hold on. <laughs> What's the word for it when you when you make something seem really great in a movie? Uh, like idealize or, or yeah, let's um, not idealize. Yeah, yeah, let's not glam. Yeah, let's not glamorize the idea of going to those extremes and shooting ourselves right and thinking it's going to be okay afterwards. I think that you're you're right. That's really incredibly sort of yeah. It's dangerous to show like that. Yeah. Oh, you're going to be fine. You know, that's I just think it's a little dangerous. Well, right. And it's funny because the path that that the narrator was on at the beginning of the movie, going to group therapy, talking to people about problems, whether they were his actual problems or not. You know, we mm-hmm. can get that's a whole separate episode. He was on a path that was getting him help. He was having things that he enjoyed. He went on a whole rant in his in the big opening about the things that he loved in his apartment. And and, and that's a real part of him, too. So to suggest that this uh, alter ego is the sort of idealized, glamorized version of himself, I think, is is uh, is tough to swallow. I agree. And so, Ryan, what I thought we could do, and I know I'm springing this on you here. Let's do it. OK, so in movie reviews, uh, in normal podcast movie reviews, they'll do sort of a, a star system or something. I think that we should have a five couch system. Uh, and we should rate on uh, one to five couches how accurate of a portrayal of dissociative identity disorder is Fight Club. Okay. So five being the most accurate or, or most Five uh, being the, like the best way you could portray it. One being it was portrayed and it's not at all like what it seems. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm leaning obviously on the smaller end. You know, I would... If I had to just go point blank, I'd probably go a two. There are aspects of this that are accurate and are sort of reflective of people that struggle with dissociative identity disorder, but the sort of irresponsibility <laughs> of portraying right. it in, in the way that, it, that the movie portrays it means uh, for me that there's, there's way more risk here than benefit for people looking for uh, useful examples of dissociative identity disorder. Fight Club is a two couch, and that means that watch it for entertainment only, and yes. don't don't go to it seeking any sort of advice if you're having any of these issues. You definitely want to call a professional and and really get to know what things are actually like. This is uh, just a movie. Yeah, if you're looking for for anything to take away from it, just watch the first like fifteen to twenty minutes max. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I, I appreciate the question. I, I can't wait to to look at some more movies or examples of pop culture to talk about more stuff. Awesome, oh, guys. I think Ryan is planning on doing this from time to time. Hopefully, he. I think I'm going to be coming back. I think we're going to be just kind of dissecting things. Hopefully, as we do it too, we'll kind of zone in on exactly the order of things and and it, it you know it can be exciting and a lot of fun uh, there's a lot of movies out there that do get it right and we're going to talk about those too things that you can use to to you know watch and and learn some actual things so ryan thank you so much for having me on today mike thank you for coming on yeah look forward to talking more about this stuff with you in the future awesome All right, so a lot of important takeaways from Fight Club for anyone struggling with mental illness issues, whether they are as severe as Tyler Durden's or not. In the start of the movie, he was doing okay. 
Granted, he was attending support groups for ailments he didn't have, but he was hardly causing harm and he was benefiting significantly in terms of mood stabilization and social support. So if you are struggling with a problem, there are more than likely support groups out there for you too. It might take some Googling and some willingness to try something that might be awkward or uncomfortable at first, but trust me when I say I have seen the benefits people can experience from these groups firsthand, and it is worth sticking with it even if you are unsure at first. Secondly, if you are experiencing anything within the realm of dissociative identity disorder, or if you feel like you can relate to any of Tyler's experiences, get help. Support groups, while effective, are not sufficient when it comes to adequately treating these symptoms. Finally, on a serious note, if you are or ever do get to the point where you think hurting yourself is a viable solution to your problem, please tell someone or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, which is available 24-7. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you to my executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. See the show notes for links to those pages. We will soon be up on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. So if you listen there, please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We would greatly appreciate it. From Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.